Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie, it's you, Jamie. Don't be alarmed, but I think there's a guy following you. Maybe we should get that guard dog we talked about? Nothing too scary, maybe like a Bichon with an attitude? You know, Progressive's collision insurance covers injured dogs and cats at no extra cost, so... Wait, the guy stood up when I stood up. He's on the phone. He's looking right at me. Oh, wait, it's just my reflection. Don't tell anyone about this. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Pet coverage not available in New Hampshire and North Carolina. You are Locked On Bucks, your daily Milwaukee Bucks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On Bucks. I'm Eric Name, and as always, I'm joined by the wonderful Frank Madden. Frank, how are you? I'm wonderful. You just said it. Now I don't know if I believe you. No, I'm fine. Okay, good. Um, it's, been, it's been like my many days since the Bucks' last loss. So. <laughs> that's, I think that's probably the best way to... To put this last month of Bucks basketball, um, obviously things have um, have not gone well for the Bucks uh, here in the month of January. They've struggled mightily, and yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know what else there is to say about Bucks basketball currently. They're giving up a whole mess of points. Uh, they've lost. What are we at now? Eight of their last nine. Um, and they have a three-game road trip here. So at Utah, at Denver, at Phoenix. Uh, so a three-game West Coast road trip against uh, starting on Wednesday against the Jazz. One of uh, we were just getting ready for this and kind of trying to figure out what we should talk about with the Jazz. And I just looked up and down their lineup and said, "Damn, the Jazz are really good." Um, and I, I think that's a pretty. Pretty accurate way of describing them. They're 30 and 19 on the season. They're fifth in the Western Conference, uh, but that 30 and 19 record is, I think, seventh overall in the league. Uh, so they're they're quite good. Um, I guess what do, what are you thinking going into this game, Frank? Um, are you as scared of a possible three game road sweep as I am? Because I'm. I'm quite scared of that. Well, I, you know, I like to take things one game at a time. So I'm just, for now, just deathly afraid of getting crushed by the Utah Jazz. So, um, you're a true yeah, professional, I mean, Frank. You're a yeah, true pro. Yeah. That's that's a true pro's answer. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, the, the Jazz are just just tough. I mean, they have Rudy Gobert, um, the best interior defender I would say in the league. I think most of the, uh, you know, I think uh, I think actually was, I was listening to David Locke um, on the. Uh, kind of east and west updates where uh we contributed uh, a brief piece uh on the bucks i think this was was this at the third way mark or the halfway mark i forget which one it was it was uh, a happier time I think. yeah maybe halfway uh, i don't know yeah one of those two but um but i know uh, i think david uh i think when he was talking about the jazz i think he mentioned that you know they're i think they allow the fewest points in the paint or you know they have the best opponent percentage allowed or you know all the all the like good metrics that show that they don't allow anybody to score points near the basket um and uh i think right now they're the second ranked defense in the league um you know they they are just really really good they allow the fewest i think i want to say they they have one of the best um three-point defenses in terms of three-pointers allowed um and oh they do wondering well uh, yeah, Mika Hankasolo 
um, our, our good friend, or actually, he, he writes for Hoops Hype. Um, I know I've done a podcast before with him. I don't know if you have, um, but he tweeted out a graph showing uh, three-point defense in the league. Um, and I guess this is specifically corner three-pointers attempted versus corner three-pointers allowed uh, per game. And he he commented on it, the Bucks, the Cavs, and Jazz are outliers in their own way. Um, and the Cavs take a, a bunch of threes per game, so they're kind of all by themselves at the number of corner threes taken. And the Jazz allowed just barely any corner threes per game and then well the bucks, the bucks are just awesome right? <laughs> no no uh well i mean if the goal is to give up a lot of corner threes they're very good at it um but yeah they're like a clear outlier so in each one of those spots you can see like the Cavs all by themselves the jazz all by themselves and then the bucks all by themselves and the bucks have uh have a staggering lead on the rest of the league in corner threes right uh, here's a here's a random digression Okay. Uh, so growing up, and and you know, you you were a much better basketball player than I ever was. But uh, I always dramatically prefer. I totally preferred shooting from the top of the key and from the wings to the corners. And obviously, the you know the big difference. I was always shooting on you know amateur high school slash at the time college three point lines. I never shot obviously at an NBA three point line and mm-hmm. you know at a random gym. Um, and obviously the, the distance is the same around for, you know, the old high school line versus the NBA where it's, you know, one feet, nine inches closer in the corner. But I hated not having a backboard as a backdrop. I, I don't know. Maybe my edge is, maybe I'm just bad. Well, I know I'm bad, but, um, <laughs> but what, what you, you played a much higher level basketball than I did. Did you, let's, let's take the distance piece out of it, but did you enjoy shooting from corners or did you not care? Or what was, what, what's your opinion of the corner shot? Um, I loved wing threes in high school. Um, just because I, I don't, I don't even know why. Maybe I guess, cause it was kind of that same thing where I wasn't maybe quite the shooter I was in college in high school and having a backdrop and some consistency was nice, but I guess as I grew older, I come I came to love corner threes mainly because I just enjoyed well because I played point guard. Um, so if I would make a pass and like cut through, then I would be in the corner a lot. So I would I would get some driving kick opportunities there. I'd also get like if someone drove on the left side, my goal was always to move from the top down and try to get a corner three there so i i did not i I did not like them early in my career and i learned to love them um as i started to play at higher levels so i do wonder if maybe as you get older maybe you're playing more sophisticated basketball and people understand how to get corner threes a little bit easier and how that can kind of open up an offense even at the college level where it is uh the same distance around um but yeah i I did. I my natural, my natural. Like I like wing threes the most. I, I to to this day I still prefer shooting wing threes. But I did start to like them. I did start to like corner threes more as I got older. So I'll add. So I just googled why why because I knew I'd read about this at some point. And lo and behold, guess who wrote an article? Guess which Bucks employee wrote an article <laughs> about why 
the sh- quote unquote short corner three is easier. Can you can you guess? Can you guess? Because I know you know the answer. Um, I would go with our good friend Seth Partnow. Seth Partnow. Uh, and yeah, so Seth wrote this uh, in 2014 at the excellent Nylon Calculus, which he, of course, ran for a very long time. Um, but I guess just like scanning it over real quick, um, it doesn't. It's he noted here that it actually the the knockdown rate on long jumpers doesn't really change appreciably um, on long twos or basically basically like once you're in the long two range, it shouldn't really change dramatically. So I guess to, the argument is that um, it's more uh, it's uh, it's it's basically an issue of contest rate. And because it's, it looks like it's just harder to contest corner threes, as the Bucks can attest to. Yeah. Um, and that's that seems to be, uh, and I'm probably mis mis summarizing it. So uh, this is a test to see if Seth ever listens to this podcast. <laughs> if he, uh, emails us or tweets at us something angry that we completely whipped on this, and <laughs> I guess we'll know that we got it wrong. Um, but uh, yes, corner three. So uh, returning to the Jazz, though, I think. This really is a good example of why having a phenomenal defensive center is so valuable and it affects everything you do all over the court because, you know, with the with a, a defense anchored by a guy like Rudy Gobert, you you don't have to help. You, you know, it's like if you, you know, if you don't have to swarm and, and, and try to keep guys out of the paint because guess what? Rudy Gobert is waiting for you and, and he's going to make life very difficult. So you can play more honest defense, right? And obviously you have to you have to do that tactically, right? I mean, Jason's kid, Jason Kidd's defense does not do that. Sean Sweeney's defense is obviously not um, built around that principle. And, and obviously they don't have Rudy Gobert either, um, which, um, you know, again, uh, I don't know how it might differ. Um, you know, they played a pretty aggressive scheme when they had Larry Sanders. So, yeah. um, so who knows? But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's definitely interesting to see the Jazz and – Obviously, they're having phenomenal success this year defensively, and um, I, I don't. I mean, Utah. I just. Do you ever just like you just like you think about playing in a in a building, and you just like you just have like flashes of all the games you've watched the Bucks play there, and you just have this like immediate emotional <laughs> sense of we never win games there. Like it's just it's just I don't know. Do you ever, do you get that feeling as well? I just I just feel like I can't picture the Bucks winning games there. And as we were prepping for this, I said. How you know? I asked you how long has it been since the Bucks won? Because the only thing I could remember was uh, Glenn Robinson hitting like a game-winning. It might have been a three or a long two, um, and that was probably sixteen years ago or something like that. But yeah, I think it was left wing and maybe a little bit of a yank. He might have. Yep. He might have got a little big dog yank in there. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think he yanked. Uh, to to get that game winner, um, and I'm trying to I, I'm not 100 percent sure what year it is. Our good friend uh, Elijah Price made a compilation of Bucks game winners, and the reason I remember it so vividly because it was in there, and I watched that a little while ago. Um, but yeah, I, I was looking. Uh, the Jazz have won 14 straight against the Bucks at home. Um, that would mean the Bucks' last win in Utah came on March twenty eighth, two thousand and three. Um, oh no, just wait. Give me a second. Oh, it might even be worse than that. Ooh, it might have been that one. Uh, two thousand one. The Bucks' uh, last win in Utah was on. Oh man. 
that's even worse. Um, it's going to be. I feel like it was. It feel like it was early in the season. October twentieth, two thousand one, a one twelve, a one nineteen, one twelve overtime win. So maybe that wasn't it either. Um, but yeah, it, they haven't won. Let's say October. They didn't play. They didn't play games that early back then, did they? October twentieth. That seems like Ooh, it would maybe. have been a preseason game. I don't know. I'm confused by their notes. Um, okay. What? Either way, oh one or oh three. If I could, could it's re- been a while. It's, it's been, been a while. long time. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so you, that that feeling of dread is 100 percent right, and I agree. It just feels like they play like garbage every time they are in Utah. Um, so, I mean, obviously the hope would be that they can somehow try to get a win here. But man, it is. It's a brutal place to play, and this Jazz team is just really good. <laughs> yeah, and I was going to say, I mean, the interesting thing about them being so good this year is that Gobert's been great, Hayward's been great, you know, Hayward's made the All-Star, Hayward made the All-Star team. I thought Gobert probably should have made the All-Star team over DeAndre Jordan, but he didn't. Um, but it's kind of interesting. I mean, George Hill, our guy, a uh, guy we've we've always pimped majorly, oh, has, has yeah. been really good. Um, coming over in that trade, uh, the three-way involving Jeff Teague and uh, the Jazz. I guess it was the Jazz's first-round pick that went to Atlanta. Um, but the the interesting thing is Derek Favors has had injuries. He's putting up really bad numbers by, J- by Derek Favors' standards. Um, Hill's had injuries. Uh, and Rodney Hood's been very disappointing, I would say. And I can say that because uh, I drafted him in the Fantasy Basketball League, which I haven't looked at in about three weeks uh in part because uh, he got hurt and i was like i'm I'm screwed i wasn't doing well anyway (laughs) um but rodney hood not having uh not continuing his ascent that that we've been seeing the past couple years as as he came in in the 2014 draft class so and he's had some injuries as well i think he had a knee injury um so it's interesting because they they haven't necessarily gotten you know breakout seasons from a number of guys and you know guys that have been reliable guys have um, had some struggles uh, with injuries and and what I would thought it was fascinating that the most used lineup of the Utah Jazz, um, which is the the lineup you'd kind of expect, Gobert and Favors, the two big guys, um, Hood, Hill, and Hayward uh, on the the point guard and wings. Um, that lineup has only played 105 minutes all season, and they're a minus 4.1 points per 48. I need to check what they're uh, what they are per per 100. But either way, you get the the drift. They are surprisingly bad um in that relatively small sample and i'm guessing a lot of that's just because they haven't played much together and i'm sure over over time that would that would uh spring back the other direction but uh but yeah it's it's interesting i mean it, you you can't help but look at this team and say they've been really good and they can probably be notably better um because you know trey lyles really hasn't been particularly good this year either he's a guy that you know i think a lot of people thought would, would take a nice step forward this year um so, so it's interesting, you know. Hayward missed the, what, the first week or two of the season. I mean, the, there are all these reasons why the Jazz might not be that good, or why they might not be as good as as uh, as they have been. But um, I guess you look at the job Quinn Snyder has done as the head coach, and obviously building that tremendous defense around Gobert and company. And um, you just have to be impressed. And certainly for um, a Bucks team uh, that uh, that is struggling, it, it is not fun to to look at at you know the size they have, the fact that they are very well suited to um, making it difficult to get the sort of paint points that the Bucks like to get. Um, that that obviously is going to make this maybe not mission impossible, but um, let's say mission improbable. <laughs> it, it's funny too. I guess the that lineup 
like you said, you look at all the George Hills played 25 games this season. Uh, you mentioned Hayward's only played like 42 of their possible 49 games. I think um, they they've just had Derek Favors played 33 of a possible 49. Uh, there's been just injuries up and down that lineup, and somehow they're they're still great. And you look at some of their free agent signings like Boris Diaw, Joe Johnson, and I mean the move making a move for and George Hill, like three guys that they bring in over the off season and man, they, they all, they all worked. And I think a lot of people did really like the jazz for that reason. And man, just up and down that roster. I think there's probably guys that are underrated to, to some extent. Uh, Gordon Hayward, I think is Rudy, even Rudy Gobert probably is that probably should have been his all-star spot over Deandre Jordan. Um, George Hill is one that we talk about all the time being underrated Boris Diaw in a good system uh, inspired and actually wanting to be in shape is obviously always a good player. Like they're just up and down that roster. It makes sense. And Quinn Snyder's great at giving lunatic looks at the camera on the on the bench, which is great um, and entertaining. But he's also a good basketball coach, obviously. And like you said, they've they've made a they've created a great defense around Gobert. And yeah, it improbable seems seems quite likely uh, for the Bucks' chances of a win uh, coming up here against the Jazz. And and I guess... Uh, by the way, one, one, other, one, one other guy who, who's been weirdly underwhelming, and I mean, there's some reasons for it, but um, remember there was like straight talk about Dante Exum, you know, being in the mix for the Bucks mm-hmm. when they selected Jabari Parker at number two. Um, so, I mean, he had kind of a eh, first season in the league. You know, he was a really young guy when he came in. Um, you know, playing point guard, uh, didn't necessarily have, you know, a huge opportunity to do it, showed flashes, but kind of, you know, never really figured it out. Um, then tears his ACL going into his second year. So last year's, you know, pretty much lost. And then this year he's coming back from, from that ACL tear, uh, and, and really hasn't played well. And, and I, I don't know, I mean, I don't follow them closely enough to know what the, the exact storyline is there, but, but pretty interesting. Cause you know, again, this is a team that, you know, that's another guy that if, if Dante Exum suddenly, kind of figures it out and becomes you know anything close to the type of player that they were hoping when they picked him i guess it was fifth overall in that 2014 draft um man that that's another uh arrow in the quiver that that is getting quite full for for quinn snyder and company but uh uh, let's just hope that uh that well let's just hope that the bucks aussies uh thon maker and matthew delvadova uh can outplay dante axum and joe ingles the uh the two Aussies in utah because um well, yeah, the Bucks, need pretty much, <laughs> the Bucks need definitely pretty much every matchup to go to go their way. Yeah, um, and and I guess looking at this Bucks team, we talked yesterday about Thon. Do you think Thon is in the starting lineup again? I I know we mentioned that Gobert is just a brutal brutal matchup for him. Yeah, um, but as as we also said, it could possibly be a good one if Thon. Um, if they use Thon in a way that can allow him to pick and pop, can allow him to stay up at a three-point line, maybe you can you can go to, uh, go bear away from the rim and uh, and try to make him contest some of those Thon shots. Do you think Thon starts again for the Bucks? I'm kind of torn because, on the one hand, I think uh, you know as I was saying yesterday, I don't I don't think Thon's just going to start the rest of the season or something like that. I think you're going to see you know kind of continued work to get you know, different guys into the lineup and get them minutes and, 
you know, I don't, I don't think we've seen the last of Plumlee or Henson or anything like that by a long stretch, but, um, but, but I don't know. I mean, on the one hand, um, you know, Kid isn't necessarily the kind of guy who frequently like proactively changes lineups just for matchup purposes. Yeah. Um, but he had, uh, certainly more flexibility to, to do that, to throw a thumb in the starting lineup against Boston just because, you know, they were missing Al Horford, which we didn't even talk about, I don't think. <laughs> but, um, but they were missing Al Horford. Not that Horford's like, you know, a play through the post type guy or something like that. But, um, but obviously they, they weren't at full strength uh, at the center positions. But obviously with Utah, it's a different story. So I, I don't know. I mean, part of me thinks maybe he will and he'll just let him suffer and, and then take him out after, you know, four or five minutes and, um, and then just kind of move on. Um, but, but I'm not sure. Cause, cause certainly that's always the hard part with, with young guys, right. Is, um, you know, do you, do you try to spoon feed them minutes maybe against uh, second units, weaker competition in order to maybe build up their confidence and make their lives easier? Or do you, you know, sort of throw them in at the deep end? Um, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he starts him and, you know, only plays him maybe 10 or 15 minutes, gives him the job start just because of the, the matchups, you know, but maybe he starts him again just because obviously Thon was one of the positives from last game, right? It's not like you would have looked at Thon and been like, oh, well, you got to change that that starting five because, you know, there's no way, you know, Thon deserved to play after after that performance. So so I don't know. That's my non-answer. Um, I'll say it's 50-50. <laughs> The ultimate non-answer, right? Yeah, that was really good. Um, I I think Thon will start again, and I'm I do have to say I'm just kind of intrigued by only playing Thon and Monroe uh, against Gobert, and kind of part of me wonders if you can work the offense through Monroe. I would assume Gobert covers him. If you can find some cuts off of Monroe, and obviously this, this Jazz team is great defensively, um, but if you can kind of attempt to occupy Gobert with Monroe in the post or in the mid post or maybe by an elbow, maybe you can try to pull him away from the rim and try to make something else happen. Um, so I think that's interesting. And like we said with Thon, maybe you can pull him away there. So um, I'm going to, I'm going to be an optimist and say Thon gets 18 and Greg gets 30 and we don't see Henson or Plumlee and we just kind of see the Bucks just, tried out with Thon and uh, Thon and Greg which is they didn't do that uh on Saturday they did give Henson about eight minutes there um so so I'm gonna I'm gonna be an optimist and say that's all they do um do, do you th- actually what well, one uh, first off I, I'll, I'll I'll tend to take I'll, I'll buy that they'll start Thon just to kind of reward him um and I think just um optically as well playing Thon when everybody's excited about him is maybe um maybe a positive uh to do um, the the one thing I would say, and I think Derek Favors, I believe, was rested in the last game, so I, I think he's available uh, in this game, despite sort of some of the injury problems he's had this year. Uh, but if I, if I recall correctly, I want to say when the Bucks have played the Jazz in the Pat like last year, I want to say that did Giannis play guard Gobert at times in order to have the center guard Favors? Because obviously Favors is more of a traditional sort of post offensive type guy. I'm mm. trying to think if that happened. It, probably happened maybe at, at times um but you know the, the problem is Derek favors it's not just gobert but favors um is obviously a guy who maybe not as much this year but he's obviously a guy that that is really physical and and can kind of take it to to teams down low if 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 he's right so um so i don't know not not that uh, that necessarily changes anything for the bucks tomorrow because i think uh it 
does seem like he's he's going to play after being rested. But if if it was Trey Lyles who started the last game and Rudy Gobert, I think you could more easily just say, you know what, we're going to put Giannis on Gobert. We're going to double Gobert if they actually try to post because the Bucks they foolishly double everybody. So why not double a guy <laughs> when he's way bigger than the other guy? Um, and then uh, let Thon play the more perimeter oriented big man. But anyway, we're I'm I'm overanalyzing this at this point. <laughs> um, let me ask you another question that there's no way of you to actually know. Ideally, you would go out on a limb and pick one, but may- <laughs> maybe you won't. Um, so, does Jabari get his groove back? He he probably had the worst game of of the season against the Celtics, and maybe of his life uh he, he just really struggled in that game does he find his groove in utah i'll say no um i i wish he would right um i, I i'm i'm really rooting for him to kind of get get his mojo back and and um you know probably tomorrow it's going to be extra important that his jumper and his three-point shot return after i think he's missed 10 10 his last 10 threes over the last three games um because especially against a team like this which can clog up the paint and uh and you know, again, they're they're not going to make life easy for you trying to attack the rim. So um, it, it definitely won't be easy for either him or Giannis. Uh, but I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure. I I, I think I I feel like Jabari's played poorly in Utah. Um, the, in his first two games there, I, I think he's played there twice. I want to say. Um, and obviously, it's a it's an interesting place for him because you know, obviously Utah is the you know, home of the Mormon religion, and and Jabari is obviously the probably the most famous. Uh, apologies to Danny Ainge. I'm probably forgetting other some other good Mormon basketball players, but um, Jabari is obviously you know pretty famous for that. And he has, I think, from what I remember, he he does obviously have a following in in a place like Utah because because of that. Um, so it is kind of an, an interesting place where he probably maybe feels a little bit extra pressure, a little bit different kind of pressure maybe. Um, and obviously it'd be great to, to see him play well in that setting where, and, and especially coming off, you know, a really tough game. So I'm, I'm really rooting for it to happen, but you know, again, anybody who, who likes to make their living attacking the rim and dunking, um, is going to have to do some other stuff probably to have success against the jazz. So, so I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not, let's say, uh, you know, holding my breath on that one. I think that should cover everything for this this game against the Jazz on Wednesday. Like we said, it's the first game of a three-game Western Conference road trip and uh, another situation where the Bucks could really use a win to kind of break up this losing. Um, so we'll see if they can do that uh, in Utah. That's a mountain time start, so it'll be uh, 8 o'clock start in Milwaukee if you're listening here. I don't know where most of our listeners are. I don't know if they're in Milwaukee, if they're around Milwaukee, if they're around the world, um, but Whatever your normal time is for a Bucks home game, it's going to be an hour later uh, than that. So Bucks Jazz tomorrow night, uh, and I think that's going to about do it here for Lockdown Bucks. For Frank Mann, I've been Eric Name. We will talk to you tomorrow.